Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to the first episode of Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. Today, I'm interviewing Melanie Bro. Melanie Bro is a social justice communicator. Her day job involves running communications for an affordable housing advocacy nonprofit, and in her spare time, she writes about women's health and reproductive justice. She is currently working on a book proposal looking at social perceptions of health and wellness through the lens of her own personal and family experience of living with a genetic condition. Hi, Melanie. Hi. Thanks for being my first uh, interview on the podcast. No problem. Happy to be here. So we actually know each other from... Uh, You gave me my genetic diagnosis. So, yeah, very special moment between us. That was five years ago, maybe? Four years ago. Four years ago. So I'm 29 now, uh, and I was diagnosed a few days before my 25th birthday. Um, It was actually a very interesting time for me. Um, But maybe I'll back up a little bit more. So I, um, after I graduated from college, I actually moved to South Korea to teach English. Um, So I was there when I was like roughly 23, 24 and my mom, while I was gone, um, my parents live in Connecticut, um, and I still do, um, but my mom uh, got uterine cancer while I was gone, um, and she w- at the time was in her late 50s, um, and within a year, she also got colon cancer, and so her doctor really wanted her to get genetic testing done. So after your, so your mother's doctors had recommended that she have Lynch syndrome testing done based on the fact that she had both uterine and colon cancer, those results were positive. So what did her doctors tell her that a diagnosis of Lynch syndrome meant for her? Um, oh, that's a good question because I'm not entirely sure what they said in terms of what it meant for her. They I know that when her and I talked about it, and mind you, you know, I was on the other side of the world when this was going on, um, but she told me that um, every basically everybody in her bloodline also needed to be tested for this genetic mutation. And so that meant that my uh, mother's sister, um, her only sibling, needed to be tested, so my aunt, and... Um, my brother and I are my mom's only children, so the two of us also needed to be tested. Um, and what was interesting is that she was told, and I don't remember if it was this doctor who told her that or she had this in, like impression that, um, you know, I mean, this is actually true, is that, you know, siblings are have very close genetic matches to each other, um, much closer than they are to their parents, for example. Um, but because of that, my mom was under the impression that, you know, if my brother was negative, then I would be negative. And so I kind of also went into, I remember our first meeting, our first like conversation about, you know, getting genetic testing done um, with that impression. And, and I remember you cleared that up for me that no, actually, all of my mom's children, you know, have a 50-50 chance individually. So yeah. by the, t- by the time you, I saw yeah. you, yeah. And you actually, I mean, it's actually with the, with our parents and with our sibling, it's it's just 50% with each. It's like equal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So by the time I saw you, my brother had already been tested and he was negative or is negative. Uh-huh. And my aunt had been tested and she's positive, which actually made a lot of sense because when my mom or when my um, aunt was like, I, I want to say she was roughly 43, 45. She had uterine cancer as well, uh-huh. um, which is pretty young for someone to get uterine cancer. So that actually should have been like a trigger if at the time, you know, this was for years ago. Offered testing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But it was kind of like definitely before like this was really ever talked about um, mm-hmm. with any doctors. Um, so, yeah, and then and then um, I'm trying to think of what else I told my mom. Um, they definitely told her about the other types of cancer that she's at risk for, but because of her family history, the most, you know, significant of which are the two that she happened to have. Um, the colon is, and the uterine. Yeah, exactly. Which are the most, the most common Lynch syndrome cancers in general, yeah. too. 
Yeah. And then at that point, you know, my mom, how old was she? She was in her like late fifties. Uh-huh. Uh, she had already been through, um, menopause. And so like when she had her uterine, uh, when she had her like surgery related to her uterine cancer, so she had like a full hysterectomy, um, it, it d- wasn't as big of a, an impact on her body because her body had sort of already naturally gone through menopause. Right. Um, and they ended up, I believe they also took out my mom's ovaries just to, you know, sort of be safe as well, because she's, you know, yeah, with Lynch syndrome, you're also at an increased risk for uterine, or excuse me, ovarian cancer. Yeah. And that, and that cancer is very hard to detect. So they kind of just did it all at once, which ended up, you know, working out for her in terms of she didn't, um, she didn't necessarily have any, uh, severe, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like, um, sim- uh, side effects from it. Although uh-huh. I would say this, I mean, her doctors haven't told her this, but my mom has had a lot of trouble walking to the point where she's uh-huh. now almost confined to a wheelchair and she needs hip surgery. Um, mm. and you know, one of the symptoms of, um, of, uh, you know, having, the estrogen kind of removed from your body in the form of either a hysterectomy or, or those other kinds of uh, surgeries is osteoporosis. And so, mm. you know, the doctors really haven't said anything about this, but I, I would probably guess that one of the reasons why my mom has trouble with, uh, you know, with her bones is, you know, maybe a symptom of that as well. So it's, it's just very interesting when you, and, you know, I'm not necessarily drawing any conclusions, but like, it's interesting when you are trying to fix one problem, there are sort of other problems that can result. And obviously you want to tackle the most like, um, life threatening or, you know, the more serious kind of eminent threat first and deal with that first. But then it's also trying to figure out what makes the most sense in terms of like kind of long term health and long term like uh, vitality. Um, it's really hard. Those are very hard decisions to make, and those are very hard things to kind of contemplate in a situation when you're like confronted with something that's very difficult, like cancer, and you know. So yeah, yeah. She's just such a lovely person, um, but she's also like very she's she's very good at being a mom if that makes sense so she she loves to say she has a lot of different phrases right one of her favorite phrases is that she says i'm the healthiest sick person you'll ever meet and that's sort of like her you know kind of candid sweet way of sugarcoating some things for me her child's um which is, you know, she has a lot of health problems and they're really significant. Um, and now it feels like a lot of, you know, I, I mean, thankfully the Lynch portion of it is under control. Um, I do actually remember when I was in the midst of being really upset about my diagnosis and like really like kind of first understanding what it meant and sort of dealing with that emotionally she felt so bad. Like she felt like she had done something to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you didn't do anything to me. Like you loved me my entire life. And you didn't know that you had this thing that you like potentially could have passed on to me. Like you did nothing wrong. Um, but that's kind of just like the type of person that she is, um, which just makes her, you know, quite, quite lovely. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty common feeling for a lot of people with a condition that you can pass down that parents feel guilty for passing it on to their children, even though it's something completely outside of people's control. And yeah. parents pass down wonderful traits as well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Take control of what gets passed down and what doesn't get passed down. Right. It's always a grab bag. And it is interesting, this whole you know, wanting wanting to have biological children versus not and or wanting to have children at all. Um I I I really don't I go through phases where 
there's one day that I feel very strongly about one decision and then the next day I feel very strongly about another. Like it's very, it, it is very up and down. So I, I think whenever I'm finally in a position where I really do want to, want to start thinking about having kids, if I do want to have kids, um, yeah, I'm very curious to see how that plays out. Um, just because like really it'll depend on if I'm with a partner at that time or, um, or, you know, what kind of financial situation we're in, because that's a huge piece of it too. Um, like if I, if I do want to have biological children, you know, my kind of like two big options are one is like the whole process of, you know, in vitro and screening my eggs and like, um, or screening embryos. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah, screening embryos, and and that is a very very expensive process. Um, and I have a ton of student debt right now, so I don't even know if that's ever going to be like financially feasible. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's another option that is a bit of a harder one to kind of do, which is you you know, get pregnant and then you, you test your, um, I can, I can do, never remember. Amniocentesis. Thank or you. Or CVS, like prenatal diagnosis. And yeah. Yeah. Which test is the fetal cells to see if the fetus has Lyme syndrome. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's, and that's hard. I mean, like when you, I mean, that decision is always hard anyway. Um, and when you're in a situation where you're, actively trying to have a child um and then you you figure out whether or not they have your condition and then choosing whether or not you want to continue with your pregnancy is a difficult decision to make um and so um i think you know kind of weighing those those are kind of the two main options that you have that we have right now because of where we are technologically um and so it's difficult uh and i can't even i'm like not at the point yet where i want to have kids um but i probably will be in the next like three to five years and so and that's not exactly that far off yeah um so we'll see all the all the options seem hard (laughs) all the options seem really hard and but you know adoption's also hard and Having kids generally is hard, so, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, none of this is sort of easy, but when you do add this other layer to it, it can, um, it can feel super daunting, um, and I know that that's, like, the people that I've talked to who have been in similar situations, um, you know, feel, feel very strongly as well about this stuff, um. There was one of the first women that I ever interviewed for a story about this was someone whose sister died very young of ovarian cancer. Um, And she found out that she has Lynch syndrome. And she and her husband had already decided that they didn't want kids, but she still didn't want to get a hysterectomy. Because she didn't want that option taken away from her. Um, even though her her doctors at the time kind of had highly suggested that she should. Because I believe her sister died like at 34. Uh-huh. Um, so they decided not to have kids for then. But she didn't want to close the door completely on the possibility of having biological children if they felt differently or if her life changed. Exactly. Yeah. Because like, that's, that's a very, you know, it's a huge, uh, decision. There were other things that kind of built into it too, which I sort of alluded to before about, you know, um, being, um, going through menopause. Yeah. <laughs> when, when yeah. It's not, not the time a woman would normally be going through menopause, experiencing everything yeah. you don't want to have to experience at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, um, yeah, that's a, that's a hard thing to kind of deal with as well. So she had all of these kind of things, um, combined with her decision to like not do this surgery yet. Um, and because yeah, it does feel like you're 
kind of what I was saying before, like your options are kind of taken away from you. And so you sort of, you try to figure out how to navigate that with what you're going to feel in the future versus what you feel now. And, um, and all of that is, it's really hard. Um, maybe a lighter note kind of thing to say (laughs) would be that I, I think it's very, it's very easy to, I mean, with any kind of major illness, it's very easy for people to feel alone. Um, but it's becoming more and more apparent that there are, um, like, there seems to be more and more people who are discovering that they have these things. Um, more support organizations. Yeah, there are. There's definitely more of them. Um, Alive and Kicking is a really good one um, for Lynch. Um, there's, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's like Facing Your Risk of Cancer. And there's like a. Facing Our Risk. Facing Our Risk, yeah. Um, they're really good too. Um, you know, kind of all the other ones, but it's, it's interesting how a lot of these like cancer focused organizations are finally kind of like embracing a genetic component to it because they're realizing that there are more and more people who are discovering their kind of risk of cancer associated with these like hereditary cancer syndromes. Yeah. Yeah. So. What is dating for you like with Lynch syndrome? Um, (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that's a fun question. Um, it is interesting. It's not as bad as I'm making it sound. I date very well. Thank you very much. Um, but, um, it is, it is fascinating because it's, I, I approach dating very differently than I used to. So, you know, after I, after my boyfriend and I split up, there was a long period where I, was very much so not wanting to get into a serious relationship. Like, I was still hurting from that. And so I was really doing a lot of casual dating. And so the topic of my kind of, you know, genetic condition never really came up. Or or if it was something that they already knew about me, it, it kind of was a moot point or whatever. Um, but it is interesting now that I'm kind of, like, entering into a phase in my life where, like, I do, I would like to find a partner eventually and, um, and build a life with someone in whatever shape that kind of forms. Um, it's something that definitely comes, I, I sort of try to figure out when I want to bring that up and gauging whether or not they are the type of person who would be able to handle that, if that makes sense. So like, um, my friends will say I kind of harp on this too much, which is actually probably true. Um, because as my friend likes to say, like, you know, everybody gets older and everybody kind of like deals with like more health problems as they get older. Right. So like you don't actually know really what you're signing up for. Um, but you have an inclination that like, you know, something, some bad stuff, some bad stuff is going to happen eventually. (laughs) Like it's not going to be all like, you know, roses and whatever. Um, but I think what, what does make my situation feel different is that I do know for a fact that like either one bad thing is going to happen or another bad thing, which is either I'm going to get cancer and have to deal with that. Hopefully it's not like it's an early stage thing and it's okay. Or I'm going to have to have some major surgery, major preventative surgery that hopefully also will be kind of a, a, you know, go okay okay and be fine. But there's still kind of two major things that will happen in my lifetime. Um, Although your your lifetime cancer risks are not 100%. That's true. But they're high enough that it feels inevitable. Unless yeah. you have the major surgeries, which is why they're recommended. Because nothing so extreme would be recommended if the risks weren't that high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so it's sort of like trying to kind of like weave this in when you're already kind of trying to get to know someone. And also like not wanting to make it everything about yourself. Yeah. Um, because I'm a lot of other things besides, you know, a, a 
Lynch patient or, you know, yeah. Lynch positive. Um, but at the same time, you know, as I also enter into a phase, like if I do decide to marry someone, have children with them, then we do need to have this conversation about how are we going to have children, right? So it's so it's sort of like, <laughs> it is an interesting screening test, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> appropriately termed. Um, for, for men in particular of who can sort of like handle that kind of stuff or it, or maybe not even necessarily handle, but at least like is willing to intellectually wrap their head around it. Right. To try um, to, to talk to you about it, to ask questions. Yeah. And so I think the one, the ones who like to ask me questions about it are the ones that I know are probably a better bet than the ones who hear about it and then kind of want to change the subject quickly. <laughs> so that's always probably a, a better sign. Yeah. Um, which I have had those situations before, which has been hilarious. Um, and it's also, you know, I'm, I'm also, again, in a privileged position in terms of like my, my stuff is not so obvious, if that makes sense. So like, um, nothing looking at you that says, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So it's less like you just, you wouldn't know that about me unless you actually like talk to me and like found these things out. Um, and so it's, yeah, so it, it makes it so that it's sort of like, uh, it's, it's something that has to kind of like be brought in a little bit easier. You have more control over when. How yeah. You yeah. And I tend to lean on the like nonchalant, no big deal way, which is good. It's probably better to do that as opposed to like making it sound really like dire and crazy um at first but because okay so for example like i'm on a lot of dating apps and like one of the things that i write it i put in it is that i'm a writer so one of the questions i get asked a lot is oh what do you write about (laughs) and so then i'll be like oh i write about women's health and then they're like oh like what's a recent article that you did and so i kind of like end up having to bring this up but then it's like funny when it gets like um then we can kind of do that screening process where it's like, oh, it's really interesting. Like, what does that mean? And how did you find out? Like, like, there's what are, what are your other interests? <laughs> right. Yeah. Versus like, oh, that's cool. So like, you like music? Yeah. <laughs> and like, so yeah. So that's been that's been interesting. <laughs> when we met, and at the time that you were diagnosed, you I believe you were working full time, and you had like what you considered pretty good health insurance, right? Which is one reason mm-hmm. you were able to see me and see the doctors you initially saw where I was working at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But after that, your your job situation changed and you didn't always have great health insurance. Is that right? Yeah, no. So when, exactly like you said, when we met, I was, you know, I had uh, a job at a nonprofit. I had very good health insurance. Um and so I was able to do my first, and I was 25 at the time, so I did kind of this first round of screenings and all of these stuff. I, was, I felt like I was going to the doctor like every other week. Like, it was a lot. Um, but it was obviously like something that I needed to do because of this new diagnosis that I had and this sort of like, in a way, a new reality for myself. Um, and after that, so I would say... I would say roughly six months after that. Um, And mind you, at the time as well, I was applying to graduate school. Um, You know, although I had really good health insurance, I didn't actually really like my job all that much. And I was sort of hoping to use grad school as a chance to like move up in my career to sort Mm -hmm. of transition a little. Um, So when I started grad school that fall, I also, you know, quit my job. I moved apartments. I had kind of a lot of things going on. And I had some financial aid that I was living off of um, at first. And then, you know, I tried. It was a very, you know, difficult process in terms of like I went on, you know, Obamacare was going on at the time, the marketplace and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I went through the marketplace and I tried very hard to find an insurance that the doctors that I was seeing would take, um, but they didn't. And so then I would try kind of switching to a different insurance 
that they, you know, on the website, it says that they take this certain kind, but then when you get into the kind of nitty gritty of it, it's like, oh, actually, we only take this kind of this particular (laughs) company versus like, you know, we don't take the like Medicaid equivalent of this other one. Like it was just so. Right. Like the big, the big brand name, like, yes, they take, but the Obamacare version of it, absolutely not. (laughs) Exactly. Which was so, it was infuriating. Like I cannot. I, I really cannot describe like how frustrating that whole process was. Cause it was like, I spent, um, and I also, you know, I had an interaction with one of those doctors recently that I like finally had the right insurance to like see them again. And, you know, she kind of gave me a really, not kind of, she gave me a really, really hard time about like not seeing her for so many years or not getting my screenings for so many years. And cause I went through like a, like a, three and a half, like, four-year laps. Uh-huh. Um, and I was kind of like, I called your office, like, multiple times, like, trying to figure out some way to, like, make this work. But, uh-huh. you know, and that's not necessarily, like, the fault of the staff themselves. But it's like, you know, when you've got a doctor's office where the people you're on the phone with are also trying to check in patients, they're, you know, can't really stay on the phone with you all that long. They're sort of trying to, like, navigate you. Uh-huh. But then, like, you, they sort of, like, pass you off to, like, another department. And then, like, that department can't really answer your question. <laughs> it was just, like, I had multiple times. Where, exactly. There were multiple moments of the runaround to where eventually, you know, you become very, you know, disenfranchised. And you just, you're kind of just like, well, you know what? Like, I'm young and healthy. It'll be fine. And it's, like, that's not necessarily the attitude that you you should have when you have Mm -hmm. something like this for sure um but it's also you only have so many options (laughs) exactly exactly yeah um and you know and I'm a lucky person like I am very very aware of my privilege just in any situation but especially in something like this where you know my um my aunt who lives in New York um, has a lot of like friends in this sort of like healthcare area space or what have you. And her and I, I would tell her about the difficulties I was having. And so she would constantly like try to like find ways to um, get me in touch with other people and things like that to where, you know, it finally, we were finally able to, um, I mean, now, now I have a job that has very good health insurance. And so, um, but even still, yeah. when I went back to those doctors who gave me such a hard time, I didn't feel comfortable, like, still going to them. My aunt has been seeing a different doctor in this sort of same specialty, um, gastroenterology. And and so she managed to get me an appointment with her doctor, who is lovely. Like, uh, he was, he's also kind of one of the leading people about this. He really knows what he's doing. And it was just so interesting how the conversation was just so different because I told him my concerns like and it's interesting how my concerns are the same but different now. Like, you know, I got my diagnosis four years ago, which isn't all that long ago. But at the same time, like at a, I'm at a different point in my life. I, I you know, if I do want to have kids, like I want to start thinking about that. What does that mean? What, um, you know, what do I have to consider in these situations um and so he he did tell me that you know that's not fully his area um but that he knows like the best like guy knows to talk to or or even ones that do more of a specialty with like oncology and stuff so like he was just very good about an oncologist he could refer you to yeah exactly and so it was it was very much like let's get you the right people let's make sure that everyone knows what you're dealing with and how to approach it like that there are certain types of screenings that need to happen over other ones and um and what sort of signs to look for and stuff like that um and yeah so he was just very it was interesting how the other person almost made me and I think this is important maybe for like kind of all doctors to like understand is that when you're confronted with something like this, which, like I said before, is not a death sentence, um, but is sort of terrifying in and of itself because there's sort of this lingering threat feeling that 
you ignore most of the time. You ignore the fact that, like, your body kind of feels like a ticking time bomb in -hmm. its own ways. Um, And instead, when you're kind of confronted with these situations where you kind of, like, have to, like, hold your breath for a minute and sort of hope it's okay, um, which is when you go through your screenings. um, You're waiting for the results to come back. Yeah. Right. And so when you are dealing with a doctor who already made that process kind of stressful or made it so that you're even more on edge than you kind of already are, mm-hmm. um, it makes you not want to do your screenings, to be honest, because then you get to a point where you're just like, well, I'm going to die of cancer anyway, so just whatever. Avoid the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and I guess what's sort of good in in the sense of these and what my mom and my aunt both told have told me is that you know there's a lot of power knowledge and there's a lot of power in knowing what you have and and how to detect it Mm -hmm. so that you can get these things like when they first happen like my mom was very lucky in terms of when and this wasn't even because she knew that she had Lynch syndrome but she was very lucky when she was diagnosed with uterine cancer and extremely lucky when she was diagnosed with colon cancer that they were both very early stages of cancer. Yeah. And so she was able to get the treatment that she needed and has been cancer-free ever since and actually didn't even have to go through chemo, which is huge. Um, she had some radiation instead. Uh-huh. But, yeah, so it's um, – so it's – it's obviously really good to kind of get ahead of these things, um, but it's also good to have doctors who who want to do do that with you, want to kind of, you know, like the way this doctor phrased it to me was like, you know, this is like getting your like usual physicals every year. Like we're going to get your clean slate and or not, and we'll, but we'll figure it out. Like we'll go Which through this thing. Might be appropriate analogy in terms of the timeline like being annual but in every other way makes absolutely no sense yeah plus who who really gets a physical (laughs) i know who does anymore really it's so true um but yeah and i and i think what's also really fascinating about this experience like both with my family but also kind of talking to other people is like is really understanding the extra levels of dynamics that happen with this, right? So, um, so understanding, like, um, I mean, like, it's, it's something that doesn't totally rule your entire life, or you don't want it to, but it does have an influence on many aspects of your life, Mm -hmm. right? So I realized that I, too, need to have, I need to have a job that has health insurance, like, period. As a freelance writer, completely changes the job options you'd be looking at totally exactly and I you know for a long time when I was in graduate school I was doing a lot of freelance writing on the side and um and I was like loving the sort of freedom associated with that lifestyle um but that's just not feasible for me like it's just not um not unless you know there are better ways of and I'm not saying that like the marketplace or Obamacare isn't a great resource um but it was really difficult kind of navigating it in terms of, like... There's just so few doctors who are knowledgeable and competent in yes. syndrome that for your condition specifically, yeah. all of a sudden, there's not a good option. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Even if it might work for yes. many other people who don't have a rare genetic condition. Right. Exactly. And that's, and that's what's also interesting, too, and makes me want to, like, make sure that I focus on this in the book as well, is sort of the disparities in healthcare and the disparities in, like something like this where I am very lucky and sort of privileged in the sense of like my my mom had a kind of textbook experience with figuring out her genetic condition survived it (laughs) yeah with doctors at Yale and survived it and then was able to like have a conversation with them about oh what are the other times that you've had there there's been cancer in your family and like Granted, a lot of our extended family has passed away, but they, my mom sort of knew about that stuff and was able to kind of like pinpoint this condition. Mm-hmm. And then we were specifically tested for that condition 
turned out positive and then we kind of found out what was going on. Whereas like there's a lot of people who have no idea because they either like either those family members really have passed away and no one has any idea why they really passed away or they like don't have good relationships with that those family members or a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Or just working class people who like are doing three jobs, none of them give them health insurance. And so like you can barely go to the doctor for a cold, let alone like going to a doctor to like try to figure out maybe if you have some rare genetic condition. Yeah. I remember when we connected a few years after you were initially tested, you were working on an article. And at the time, I was working for a um, company that does commercial hereditary cancer testing. And I was explaining to you how instead of working with patients, I was working with physicians and helping them do a better job of identifying yeah. patients and sometimes testing on their own. And I remember asking you, uh, you know, like, well, how do you think it would have been if instead of the GYN ordering, like, telling you you should have genetic counseling and go for testing if she just ordered testing for you? And you're like, it's I remember, like, no. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad I saw you for testing. But oh then, my God, yeah. in my role of, like, working with physicians, just I'd see so many test reports come through. I'd see positive results for all of the New York City area. So I'd see Lynch syndrome results come through. And especially in the outer boroughs, not in Manhattan, I'd see people who would have multiple diagnoses of cancer with Lynch syndrome before they were ever tested. And before they even had the first diagnosis, they already met criteria. But these yeah. are patients who don't know necessarily their rights. They don't know that um, it would be what I think is negligent care to not have let them know that they were appropriate for testing. Um, Medicaid even generally covers this testing. <laughs> yeah. So, and I remember um, like telling you that I was like, no, actually, you're you're the only like one of two patients I had where really things happened like they were supposed to. Mm. Where a family member has testing and they let their children know or mm. their siblings know, and then you have a copy of the report and then you come in and you get testing done. Right. Yeah. Um, You're really passionate about women's health issues. Do you think you see women's health issues in a different way because of your experience with Lynch syndrome? Oh, I definitely think I do, for sure. Um, yeah, I've always been, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I've always been very, uh, definitely very passionate about it. And that actually came from my, um, my mom and my mom's health. Um, because my mom has just, to be honest, like my mom has been sick my entire life. She has always had diabetes ever since I was a kid. She, um, my mom used to smoke for, she smoked for a long time. And then when I was a uh, baby, she quit and she quit cold turkey. Um, and then after that, she became like very overweight and then eventually like sort of full blown kind of obese with like an eating disorder. Um, and so she, you know, was struggling with that for a very long time. And she um, had gastric bypass surgery when I was in high school. And that ended up leading to some complications. It was, it was a very difficult time. I was a junior. She almost died um, because of that surgery. It was very difficult. She was in like a comatose state for a month. It was wow. it was really really hard. Um, but she, you know, she eventually got uh, much better. She did lose a, a decent amount of weight, um, and then I'd say she sort of struggled with her weight for a while, and then um, you know eventually she discovered that she had this genetic disorder, um, or genetic mutation, excuse me. Um, and so, and then ever since then, it's kind of been either cancer or, you know, now she's having trouble with her hips and like, so it's just kind of always been this thing. And so I've, I've been like interested in it in terms of, you know, wanting, you know, wanting my mother to be okay and wondering if other people are sort of experiencing the same things. Um, but I would definitely say like after I got my um, Lynn syndrome diagnosis that it made me more astutely aware of these sort of situations in which um, people, but I definitely say especially women are put in where 
you you feel very powerless and you feel very much out of control like your mm-hmm. your body literally like you have no control over your body and so um really the not necessarily the only thing you can do obviously like live a healthy lifestyle sort of all of those things but there's also this kind of underlying current of like um the potential to get cancer and like you know no matter what no matter if i'm like a, an olympiast you know no matter if i'm in the best shape ever who like only eats the best food i could still get cancer like that's still a thing that could happen granted like you know um cancer is like unfortunately it seems to be like a a lot more common um so a lot of people can get cancer but it's interesting like when you have a like a predisposition to it that it it really feels as though um you know you you have even less control than you thought you did um and the and the woman piece in particular is really um interesting to me because you know, as I've sort of started to write more and more about my condition, but also other people with genetic conditions, um, to be honest, most of the people I have talked to are women because there is this other layer to it, which it has to do with children, right? So it's either, you know, I've talked to a lot of women who already have children who, you know, potentially passed on their mutations to those children, not realizing that they had this condition before they had children. Um, Uh And then also I've talked to a lot of women who, uh, you know, are kind of like me in terms of like um, debating how they want to have children. Um, So there's that piece of it. And then there's also the piece, which is, um, you know, because a lot of these genetic conditions, um, you know, we, we as women just have an extra set of, you know, biology that, Mm -hmm can get cancer um and one of the ways in which that you prevent that from happening is removing the that biology right so like taking out those organs that could potentially send the ovaries which yeah yeah and so that's you know um that is a difficult thing no matter what like uh you know hysterectomy is i I believe it's like one of the most common surgeries for women in the united states um so it is a very you know it's a very common surgery um but it's also um it's also something that you have to like think about in terms of you know kind of what i was saying before of like the other kind of repercussions that can happen if you are doing this before your body kind of naturally goes through the process by which it would go through for like, um, you know, uh, sort of depleting the estrogen from your body. Instead, you're, you're literally doing a surgery that does it all at once. And that can be really difficult. Um, and there are obviously like ways to like help that process, whether it's like hormone therapy or things like that. But then you also have situations like I talk to a lot of women who have the, the BRCA um, breast cancer, muta- more commonly referred to as the breast cancer mutation. Um, and, you know, they I've heard them say that their their doctors have told them that actually the hormone replacement therapy makes it so their breasts look denser. And so it's much harder to detect um, cancer. And so there's a lot of women who have that mutation who can't do hormone replacement therapy after having hysterectomy because then they like could potentially not catch breast cancer if it were to, um, happen or, you know, so there's kind of like all these things to think about that. And I'm not saying that it's not, you know, men who have these genetic conditions don't also go through kind of like really difficult decisions and things like that. Um, but it, but it's interesting how with women in particular that it, you have these extra layers of things, whether it be like literally changing your body or, you know, how, if and how you want to have children and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. What do you wish people or doctors knew about Lynch syndrome? I just wish more doctors knew about it, period, to be honest. Um, when you were looking for um, doctors you could see when you had insurance from the healthcare exchange, I mm. think we were talking before we recorded, you ran into a lot of doctors who had never heard of Lynch syndrome. Mm. Is that right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
I tried to block it from my memory because it was just really horrible. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say, and that's probably the biggest thing, honestly, because, um, yeah, just, I would definitely just, I just wish doctors knew what it was. Like, I just wish that there were more doctors out there who knew what, <clears throat> excuse me, what genetic conditions were, especially hereditary cancer syndromes, like mm-hmm. Lynch syndrome or the BRCA1 mutation or um, any any of the others, you know, there's, there's several. Um, because I would say there's nothing scarier than going into a doctor's office and having to explain a major, like, medical condition that you have <laughs> to a doctor. Like there's nothing like that. You're supposed to and you're and you're there because they're supposed to take care of you for this very reason. And right, they don't exactly. know what it is. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like it's terrifying. Like it's so unnerving. Like I can't even they're like, oh what is that? And I'm like, oh God, this is horrible. Um so yeah, so I would say at the very least, definitely wanting more doctors to know about it. And then also, you know, I and and I think that this is a product of it becoming a little bit more well-known, um, meaning like genetic conditions becoming a little bit more well-known. I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of stuff in the news recently about the horrors of being like misdiagnosed with a genetic condition and, and you know, sort of like women or people kind of like doing very catastrophic kind of uh, cancer prevention surgeries and then finding out they don't have the genetic condition and while I'm not saying that that's that I'm not saying that's not horrible that is horrible um I do think though that there definitely needs to be there needs to be more people like you honestly like there needs to be more genetic counselors and more of a conversation between genetic counselors and physicians so that mm-hmm. you are are making sure that you're not misdiagnosing someone but also that you're you're catching these things. Like it's a really good thing that my mother's doctor at, uh, in Connecticut was able to be like, Oh yeah, it is kind of weird that you had uterine cancer and colon cancer, like less than a year between each other. You should Uh get genetic testing done. Like if that doctor hadn't said that to my mom, then I never would have found out that I have this genetic condition. Like, and so, and I could have gone my whole life with never having these screenings that I need to try to prevent cancer from happening, um, or catching it earlier. Um, you know, and so that's, I think that's definitely like, that's probably the most important piece of it. Um, and I would say also maybe the other thing in terms of what, uh, doctors who do know about it um just making sure that the types of conversations that you have with your patients are like from a human standpoint like we um we thankfully are in a position that's like not as dire as like i use huntington's disease as like a good example of this Mm -hmm. like I, you know, it's Huntington's disease is a terrible genetic um, disease that if you have it, you know that you are going to have a much shorter life and the end of that life is going to be incredibly difficult. And that is awful. Um, Having said that, it's, you know, you are still kind of dealing with the emotional elements of it, which, you know, you... Um, you do feel um, you can run into these situations like what I was describing before where you're kind of just like, well, I'm going to get cancer anyway. So like, what is the, what's the point of it? You know what I mean? Like you can, you can accidentally force your patients into feeling that way. If you don't come, don't come to the table and have these conversations in like a a much more humane way, a much more like like, yeah, I mean, I feel planning like, around your life. Yeah, yeah, and talking like the different conversations we've had both on and off the air now about like your experience with doctors. It's like the difference between 
knowing the science and then just understanding that you have all of these issues that you're dealing with in the context of like your real life. And like I've heard you say, like you are a person with Lynch syndrome, but you're a lot of other things. And having a doctor who just like takes a beat to kind of appreciate that, that you have other things going on. (laughs) Exactly. No, totally. And that, and, you know, trying to figure out solutions for these kind of bigger problems that, of course, like, there are going to be situations where, like, you are not going to be able to do something that you, like, thought you were going to do. But for the most part, you can still, like, you know, I'm still, like, living my life exactly how I want to live it. It's just, you know, I want to have conversations with my doctors that's not, like, when are you going to have kids? Like, you should really get on that and start really thinking about that. As if right. that's the way kids work. He's like, right. oh, I, have exactly. it, I have it scheduled for like, you know, like that's, that's easy. I'll just get that over with. Right, exactly. And then it's just like, no, how about instead we have a conversation of like, you know, if you do want to like start to talk to me about that, that's fine. Like, I should know what my options are and I should like have an honest conversation about like maybe when I should have like if I do want to have kids like when is kind of like too late in terms of you know a lot of things not just because of the genetic condition but also because of like you know having children later can have other problems associated with it blah 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 but it's just the way to go about that conversation is more just like like for example this new doctor I'm seeing he very much was like okay well what what do you want to do? Like, what are you interested in? Um, and then he also was very much like, you know, I'm a gastroenterologist. That's not my area of expertise. Instead, I'm going to refer you to a doctor I know who's capable of having those kind of conversations with you that feel genuine and feel catered around your needs and, and mm-hmm. your questions. Um, and so, you know, he put me in touch with a, um, a GYN oncologist? Uh, yeah, exactly. Who, you know, I haven't seen this person yet, so I don't know if, uh, how that relationship's going to be, but I feel good going into that because I have this conversation with this other doctor to say, like, I need someone who's going to, like, come at this from, like, a, a much more understanding and a much more sensitive place because these are yeah. sensitive topics. Like, yeah. so, yeah, Great. that's what I wish for. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being my first interview and for putting up with my technical difficulties (laughs) and my nascent podcaster curve. No, that's totally fine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to hear. I think this is what is the most exciting part of all of us for me in terms of, or for you, you know, for you and me excited for you is just hearing people's stories. Like I... I think that's why I started writing about this is because it's it's very cathartic, like listening to the experiences of other people, um, because it just it makes you not feel like you're alone in this situation, yeah. you know, so and that's really nice. And so people thanks. can people can find you on Twitter and Instagram, right? What's your handle? Yeah. So uh, my handle is M as in Melanie, B as in baby, R-E-A-U-L-1. Um, and and we'll yeah. include that in our show notes too, so people don't have to remember that. But it'll be in our show notes, so we'll tag you in social media. So if people want to find you, that should be pretty easy. Yeah, no problem. So come and follow me, and let's have conversations on Twitter about this stuff. I constantly am posting things. You can also see some photos I've done in terms of like some of my other social justice work. So yeah, enjoy. Awesome. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at greatgenetics.com. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.